Tonight on This is Vinyl Tap. If we close our eyes and believe it, it might come true. I just want to hit him, but that wouldn't do. My tech deck is blasting and my car is fast. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. This is this is Vinyl Tap, and I am joined uh, this morning. It is morning. Still. By T. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> and by Jonathan J.M. Rowe. Good morning, Tapsters. We're coming to you live from the Vinegaroon Saloon in the middle of a thunderstorm. Yep, it is wet outside. Yep. And it just stopped. So hopefully we won't be recording a lot of raindrops. Yep. Before we go on with tonight's 1972 release, Fresh by the Raspberries. Wathbellies. We're going to turn to uh, T for a quick announcement. Yeah, uh, everybody, before we start, we just wanted to take a moment and acknowledge Mojo Nixon, who died on Wednesday, February 7th. That was his past Wednesday from when we're recording. Um, he was the embodiment of the true rock and roll spirit. He was an, had unabashed enthusiasm. Un, he was an unfilt, the unfiltered id and an uninhibited showman. If you ever saw him, you left sort of changed after the experience <laughs> and he was a walking musical encyclopedia i mean the yeah, guy knew his stuff if you ever had a, ch a chance to talk to him or just listen to him talk about music uh his longtime stint on the outlaw country station on sirius xm endeared him to a whole bunch of new fans yeah. and he actually died after performing his last show was on the outlaw country cruise this most recent one he performed with uh with uh most of his band and then um I believe died uh, in his sleep. He died in his sleep after think, the show. Yeah, after the show. I think he'd actually been hanging out in the bar with his buddies and yeah. then went to sleep. Anyway, which you know, he died doing what he loved, which not a whole lot of people can say. I mean, that's that just. Uh, but it goes without saying that the world is going to be a significantly less interesting place without Mojo Nixon yeah. in it. And uh, we just wanted to give a nod to him and a shout out to him and thank him for all the fun times and good memories and. Yeah. Uh, and rest in peace, Mojo. Your soul <laughs> raves on forever, as yeah. they say. And he was a uh, very, when, you know, he's known as the loon in the afternoon on Outlaw Country. But uh, he, when you talk to him one on one, he was just a really um, the embodiment of a gentleman, I would say. So. Yeah, funny as hell, though. My very God, that funny. man could could make you laugh on, off from yeah. a stage. Yeah. Anyway, 
not to bring the tone down, but we felt it was worth worth doing. Yeah, Mojo's got kind of a special place in Austin. Um, he uh, he has a song called uh, "Don Henley Must Die," and there's an infamous story behind that. He's performing <laughs> on stage at the Hole in the Wall here in Austin, and Don Henley was in town and actually got up on stage and and sang the song with him. So yeah, rest in peace, Mojo. We'll miss you. Was Don Henley the opening act that night? (laughs) (laughs) Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going back to the raspberries. If you have listened to more than three episodes of This Is Vinyl Tap, I assume you know who picked this album. T! Uh, I have a question for you. Yeah, why why am I relegated to T? Am I like Prince or I like known as known as the letter T? That happened a long time ago. Are you just now noticing? I guess so. I didn't know you ignored me so thoroughly. <laughs> anyway. Tony. No, you can call Anthony. me T. You can, T, T is fine. Anthony, we started calling you T since we did the uh, Sopranos episode. Oh, that's right. With little Steven. That's right. Because we had to get all uh, New Jersey on y'all. Yep. This is what we call a power pop band. Uh, yeah. And uh, the only surprise <laughs> tonight, or this morning, whatever it is, is that it took you so long to get to this band. And I know you were threatening it for a long time. Yeah. But I have a question for you. Okay. There's a brilliant book that I recommend uh, to everyone called The Blue Nile. Okay. And it's about the uh, just the European... Uh, explorers who followed the Blue Nile to its source in Ethiopia, actually. Very exciting. Now, there's another one called the White Nile that follows it to its source. I don't believe the White Nile is actually white. I'm not sure the Blue Nile is actually blue. <laughs> Good point. But that may be something for another uh, day. Yes, sorry. <laughs> as as uh, the patomologist that you are, uh-huh. uh, I know that you're interested in the source of rivers. Oh, Lord. Now, if I am a an explorer looking for the origin of the Power Pop River, mm-hmm. how far before I get to the origin do I come across the tributary known as the Raspberries? I'm not sure I understand that question. Okay. <laughs> how far from the absolute beginning of Power Pop are the Raspberries? I don't think they're very far. Because like a year, two years. Oh, oh! In terms of time, there. Let's see. Their first album was what seventy two. Yeah, seven years maybe. So who who comes before them in the power pop? uh, Well, obviously the Beatles, right? The Who, the Kinks. The Kinks. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, these guys talk about the Bro Brummels Brummels a lot. Mm -hmm. I think they are also part of that. Uh, they also talk about the faces a lot as well. Mm-hmm. So I think they're part of the that. Small faces. Yeah. And I don't, yeah, they're not someone you typically lump in with a power pop 
the, the small faces. I'm assuming the the zombies are in there as well. I, I think that the two major influences on the raspberries are the Beatles and the Who. I think they think that too. <laughs> <laughs> I got let, let me ask you though, uh, when we when we have the Beatles and the Who and the Kinks, there is power pop elements in them, but mm-hmm. they aren't as thoroughly purebred power pop as this band. Well. Eric Carmen, who is the lead singer of the Raspberries, there's an interesting uh, there's an interesting interview or answer in an interview where he talks about you know Pete Townsend. We've mentioned this before. Pete Townsend was who was the one who coined the phrase power pop for what the Who was doing, but it didn't really catch on. It didn't start catching on until the early '70s when this second layer of bands, which I guess that's the best way to describe them: Badfinger, Big Star, people like the Raspberries. Cheap Trick to a certain stick, although I think Cheap Trick was probably influenced by the Raspberries, but I'll throw them in there too. These other bands started taking those elements that they liked from that those bands and distilling them down to something other, which is what this is, which is, you know, I, the birds are also part of the soup. The birds are definitely part yeah, of the, you can of hear the, some ra- of the, birds. <laughs> the raspberry yeah. soup. But I think that the, the, that Power Pop didn't really start catching on until the you know, early to mid seventies when these bands were literally trying to replicate a sound that they heard in their head that was based on all this stuff, all the stuff they liked from the stuff before, you know, um, there's no blues in it. (laughs) There's often country elements. There's some country elements on this album, but there's often country elements in a lot of power pop. I mean, when we talked about the fountains of Wayne album, we talked about the cars. I mean, you can probably put in, you know, Elliot Easton's play and comes. Yeah. So there's, there's that kind of, uh, probably because I think that there's a, a, one of the lineages goes to rockabilly as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, if you're influenced by the Beatles, you're probably influenced by Harrison, who was influenced by, um, Chet Atkins. Yeah. I mean, the Beatles routinely had country songs. Just nobody ever called them. I mean, outside of the Ringo cover of Act Naturally, which yeah. is a definite country song, nobody ever thought of their stuff, but they were they were playing country well, if you, songs. If you isolate George Harrison's uh, guitar solo on, uh, what is it, Close Your Eyes? Yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> it's straight Atkins. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah. I never noticed it listening to it. Yeah. But, did okay. that answer your question? I think it did. So the, what I'm getting is, there was not an origin of uh, power pop. There was a big river, and someone started f- taking elements out of the river mm-hmm. and filtering them mm-hmm. into what became uh, power pop. I, I think so. I've talked in the past about what I think is kind of the stool, the three legged stool of the foundation oh, of power pop. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. The, th- the three-legged <laughs> stool of power scatology pop. scatology from no, 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 no. Patolo- um, patomology to and scatology. That, and I've mentioned this before. It's, in my opinion, uh, this is like the foundational what's to come after. Like all the bands that come after them. It's it's uh, Big Star, Badfinger, and the Raspberries. 
Of those three bands, though, I think the Raspberries were the most defined in their desire to recreate a certain song. Like they were, they they sat down and said, "This is what we want to do." I think with Big Star, they there was some of that, but they those guys just naturally came to wanting to make that kind of music. Yeah. And I think the same. The, I mean, it really. Badfinger was still the Beatles were still around when Badfinger was around, so yeah. that's sort of a, a transitional band to a certain extent until they get get into later seventies, mid seventies stuff. But the Raspberries and Eric, Eric Carmen talks about this how he he's like I want to make this kind of music, and there was a concerted effort to to do exactly what you said with this band. So yeah. I guess <laughs> we just got your Mount Rushmore for power pop. We helped, yeah. ladies Founda- and my foundational. We already yeah. had the Mount Rushmore for. Prog rock. Now we have the Mount Rushmore for uh, power pop. Yeah, we, we need wanna, one more though. Can you put yeah. one more on the mountain for us, Tony? We've got the Raspberries, Big Star, and uh, Bad Bad Finger, Big Star, the Raspberries. We need one more from one the, more for the from Rushmore. the from the seventies, huh? Oh. Well, wherever like, it comes from. Well, from this t- time period, mm. I'm surprised you haven't covered them already. Maybe there's one missing. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a band and you're in the I mean, early I, 70s, you know, we have room for I, one I've more. always felt this way about this band. And when we talked about them, I, I mentioned this, but there's a lot of contention about throwing Cheap Trick in with the whole... That's what I was going to uh, say. The whole power yeah, pop thing. I don't have but, a problem with that. They just get a little... Uh, they get a little... Metal. Hard rocky. Yeah. Well, it's, sometimes. The, it's sort of the power and power pop, if yeah. you will. You I, don't, I don't see any problem putting them on Mount Rushmore <laughs> with these other fellas. I hope they'll all get along. Well, one of the... Uh, I was just going to say that you know, Eric Carmen, you're saying that he kind of deliberately wanted to create this music, but he was a pretty schooled musician. I mean, he knows what he, he's not. Oh, no, no, he, he's, yeah, he, a lot of these guys were uh, in this band. And it's just kind of, some, so it's not really necessarily organic, but he just really wanted to, to do this. And some of those songs, you can kind of tell there's some sophisticated elements in it. And he kind of went on well, to do much more there's sophisticated. There's a, there's a, I'll just since you said sophistication and people often say, oh, this is easy stuff. I'll tell you a quick story that I read. You guys might have seen it too. Eric Carmen was part of the Ringo Starr all-star band. Oh, and the, in an interview with the guys, and I want to say that um, it was him. I, I, God, I wish I could remember who else was. It was like a bunch of pretty good musicians that were part of this, uh, this interview and like guys who play complicated music and the interviewer said, and they, you know, when, when they do this all-star band, they all play music from the guys that are in the band. Mm-hmm. The interviewer said, who's the, whose music is the hardest. And they all turned around and pointed to Eric Carmen <laughs> and said, this is, Oh, uh, the guy from rock pile. Dave, Dave Edmonds? Edmonds? Yeah, Dave Edmonds uh, was playing, and he said, yeah, there's a damn chord on every every word. There's a chord change on every word. This stuff's impossible <laughs> to play. So, yeah, they were uh, they were all, all these musicians were saying how complicated, oh, complicated the Raspberries were. And, you know, the Raspberries were one of these bands, It's this is not a story that is that we haven't told before, where they got some commercial success, but for whatever reason died fairly quickly. And then afterwards were sort of forgotten by the music buying public, but musicians absolutely adored this man. I mean, Springsteen talks about how much he loves the raspberries. Uh, That that has happened. uh, That also happened with big star. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, but big star never had any commercial success like these guys did. Yeah. Before we go further, we, we already talked about Eric Carmen, mm-hmm. and I can go into my background with the Raspberries, which is I always heard of them, 
and I owned the Eric Carmen record from long after. I had like a junior high uh, Columbia Records deal where I had to buy one that yeah. month, and I didn't know what to get. It's got, got all by myself. His on greatest it. hits, because I liked uh, when you're feeling sorry for yourself because uh, you get dumped, you can sing all by myself. And Actually, uh, the girl I took to the prom, I met because I was sitting at a table all by myself, and I started looking at her singing that song, and she thought it was so funny. <laughs> we ended up uh, going to the prom together. Anyway, um, that's a little too much about me. The, uh, so my question is, coming at this from the outside, how much of the raspberries is Eric Carmen? Because it sounds on this album, there's considerable input from other people. And I, I think that depends on the album. Well, how about this album? This album, I'd say uh, he, when he talks about this album, he said he took over from the the previous album, their debut album, because which did, was called which was called the Raspberries, the Raspberries, or just Raspberries. Um, can why is there a P in the word Raspberries? I have no idea. Okay, That's, if you're uh, listeners, help us with that. Now, the first album came with something special. <laughs> yeah, it had a scratch and sniff cover that smelled like raspberries. <laughs> that uh, <laughs> that goes to how Columbia marketed this band, and maybe maybe explains why once what happened to them in terms of their demise and how musicians love them, but the music by public didn't, they, they Columbia packaged them as a teeny bopper band, as a, as a boy band. And they were significantly pinups, yeah. uh, more complicated than that. But I, to, to all the bands but complaining, they do, they do uh, check all the boxes for the, the uh, teeny bopper band, yeah. even though they are much more than that. Well, they do. And I think they went along with it because they saw that they were getting attention and record sales from it. I think once record sales started to diminish, they realized, hey, this isn't what we want to be known for. And the cat was already bag, out of the bag at that point. Do we, Car- want, do we want to revisit the fact uh, that you said Columbia? Uh, oh, it's capital, right? Yeah, sorry. Yes, capital. It's capital. Thank you for correcting me. And we apologize to Columbia. Yeah. <laughs> it was it's a Beatles label in the US which the Raspberries are very proud to be on, but they they yeah, they there's a funny story where Eric Carmen says they're in the in the Capitol uh room, like the big room in in LA and they're waiting for a bunch of journalists to show up and they're expecting the Rolling Stone the Rolling Stone magazine and everything else and it's it's like 16 and all these other magazines. And he realized after the fourth <laughs> interviewer asked him what their favorite color was, that they were in trouble. They're like, uh-oh, <laughs> well, this is not what we wanted. And this yeah, is where we're going. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, always be ready for that question. Let's, let's back up a little bit because we, we have been hopping around a little bit. This is a Cleveland band. Yeah. Yeah. They're from Cleveland. So something new for Cleveland or a rock and roll band. <laughs> Uh, well, this kind of band, I think, was new, uh, playing this sort of retro Beatlesque three-minute pop songs uh, that, yeah. especially in nineteen in the nineteen seventies. But the crowds in Cleveland seemed to love them. Well, this would you say that this is almost pure British invasion uh, copy band? I mean, as, as far as their influences are almost pure uh, the Who and the Beatles and the. Maybe the Hollies and the small faces. Yeah, but there's there's there is a element of the birds in there that I don't want to discount. With the are you talking about guitar sounds? Well, it's a twelve string guitar sound is very prevalent. Throughout it's kind of jingle jangle. Yeah, it's got the jangle, and there's uh you know that country song kind of sound. There's a country s song on there that mm-hmm. reminds me very much of the birds. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have uh, their well, harmonies are 
are fantastic. They are yeah. fantastic. And the birds weren't always, I mean, I, we, we tend the to think of the birds. aren't always the way they sound in our minds. Yeah, we always think of the birds post-Sweetheart of the Rodeo as, oh, they're this big. But they weren't, I mean, listen to that early stuff. They were a pop band. Yeah. And they were, they were, they were making, they were having this sort of friendly feud across the pond with the Beatles and trying to out-Beatles the Beatles. And, mm-hmm. then, yeah. and, the, and those songs aren't exactly country. The reason why Uh, they're very much, you know, sort of power poppy in a lot of ways. Yep. Yeah. So we're in Cleveland, and mm-hmm. we've, we've got a couple of bands. Well, I guess we start out with these people as uh, children. Well, the, really, the only one I know a whole lot of information about is Eric Carmen, who was uh, is born in the eastern suburbs of Cleveland. And he says he could sing before he could talk. And his parents, saying that, enrolled him in the Cleveland Institute of Music at two and a half. Well, and when he was... Um, when he was two years old, he was uh, trying to sound like Jimmy Durant and uh, Johnny Ray. He was yeah. doing their imitations for yeah. his parents' yeah. entertainment. Yeah. I don't. When I was two, um, <laughs> nothing like that was happening in my no, life. No, no, I was I was sticking uh, little pistols into my diapers, pretending like I was a cowboy. <laughs> but right. Well, they, they, I mean, they see something. So like I said, they, they, uh, enroll him in the Cleveland music Institute of music, which isn't a, that's a pretty good music school Yeah, when he's two and a half. His dad's sister was also a prodigy on violin. She was with the Cleveland symphony orchestra. And Do they have a good orchestra in Cleveland? <laughs> One of the best in the world. And, uh, at six, she's teaching him how to play the violin. And he says he was like their mascot. He would go to their rehearsals and sit on the stage while the Cleveland orchestra was was practicing wow so that was always big by 11 he starts playing the piano uh but there's a moment in time that changes his life and oddly enough it's not seeing the beatles on ed sullivan it's going to see a hard day's night he goes to see a hard day's night and he walks out of the theater saying this is what i want to do with the rest of my life and so by the time he's in high school he's playing piano and singing in a bunch of rock bands like the fugitive oh dude you did it. You you tripped the wire, Tony. <laughs> oh yeah. This is not power pop. <laughs> Tony? Yeah. Did you realize you hit a connection? No, what's the connection, Doug? Where did he learn uh, to love the Beatles? He went to see Hard Day's Night. Uh-huh. We've talked about <laughs> We that. did that record. No, we didn't. We, we did help. help. Oh, anyway. <laughs> That was a trick for our audience. <laughs> I was trying to catch any of y'all who forgot which Beatles album we did. <laughs> uh, sorry, Doug. Yeah. Well, I don't don't apologize to me. I... So now we're in connections. Now we uh, now we uh-huh. gotta I guess finish these out, right? Do you want to explain? That was explain. Yeah, what I'll the explain what a connection is. Uh, this is when we tried to tie this album or band or band to an album or band. Uh, that we've already covered in one of our previous episodes. Yes. Uh, a false connection is when you try to connect it to an album that we didn't already cover. So it's, we've been doing this for some time, and I wanted to make that distinction clear for everyone. 
Jam? Yes. I mean, Jonathan Jam wrote, do you, do you have a connection for this I, band? I do have a connection. It's a um, Abbey Road Studios. We've talked about Abbey Road Studios several times, mm-hmm. uh, with, of course, with the Beatles. Um, also, with was it who else has recorded there that we've talked about? A lot about? of people. It's a lot it's of people we've talked remember, about. Right? Yeah, I know. And the other one is uh, the other studio is the Record Plant, which we've also talked about before. That's a very famous studio where a lot of people got that their start. Come up where's the uh, yeah. Where's the Abbey Road connection? Did they record stuff in Abbey Road? They did. This album was recorded. I thought it was recorded in the in that New York studio. It was part of it was recorded in Abbey Road and part of it was recorded in New York. Oh, okay. I could see these guys going way out of their way to try to get into Abbey Road. Yeah. Oh yeah, me too. Oh, that was their first album was recorded yeah. in Abbey Road too. T. Yeah. I bet as a power pop expert, you have quite a few connections. I don't, but I have some connections. So when they're recording, this I'm just going to talk about kind of a cool story and use a connection as a, as a reason to do it. When they're recording their last album, the final album they're going to do called Starting Over, they're in that uh, New York studio, which is, what's the name of Rob, it? The Record Plant. Record Plant studio. And at the same time, recording uh, that album is Lennon, his producing Harry Nielsen's Pussycats. And so he actually gets Eric Carmen and uh, a guy who had uh, their drummer, Raspberry's drummer at the time, Michael McBride, to come in and do hand claps on the uh, loop-to-loop song on that Nielsen's uh, Ah. Pussycats album. So we did talk about Harry Nielsen. And previously, we have talked about John Lennon as well. So I'm yeah. just going to use those both as connections <laughs> to talk about that kind of cool story. They said that Lennon used to come in when they were recording that album and he doodled on a uh, poster of them and signed it. And none of them had the foresight to take the poster. And then they came in a couple of days later and the poster was gone. Oh. So, but anyway, yeah. so that's my, that's one connection. Really so again, out. just an excuse to talk about another story. When they were touring for their last album, they're playing the Whiskey A Go-Go a couple of months after the Lennon Harry Nielsen thing, and uh, a drunk Keith Moon hops up on stage at that with them at the whiskey and starts playing drums with them. So they play drums with Keith <laughs> well, Moon. I've, I've, I've heard someone say that um, their drummer is the second best Keith Moonian drummer after Keith Moon. So there we were, T. Yes. We got these uh, guys. Uh, we got Eric Carmen checking out um, the movie. Um, <laughs> I'm going to Hard Day's Night. Hard Day's Night. They did a Help movie too, right? They did do a movie okay, called that's, Help. And they're both black and white or something. No, movie. Help is a uh, color. Help was herky jerky. Help gave us the monkeys. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He goes to see Hard Day's Night. It changes him. And uh, he, while he's in high school, he's playing in a piano and singing in a bunch of rock bands. Uh, names of them are The Fugitives, The Harlequins, uh, The Sounds of Silence. At 15, <laughs> he starts guitar lessons. Um, when his teacher doesn't like how he's playing he quits and decides he's going to teach us teach himself and what he does is he goes out and buys a beatles chord book and studies guitar for the next four months so it's probably uh paul mccartney that taught him how to change chords with every word yeah (laughs) so really the story of the raspberries starts with a band called the choir and so we got to go to the choir the choir was formed in Cleveland, Ohio in 1964, and they're initially known as the Mods. What's interesting about that, in 1964, they're calling themselves the Mods. That's the same year the Who was formed. So it's not like they 
were who fans and heard the word mods and was took it the on. it was it the small faces they were I, I have no idea I don't really know where they came up with that but they were ahead of their time and a U.S. band well they're not even there there was never mods in the U.S. Right. were there no I mean, we can't so, we don't have people that can dress that sharp no so <laughs> some anyway, mods and the Nazis yeah exactly dressing people and the uh, the choir is formed by this guy named Dan Clowen. And he discovers the, he's interesting because he discovers the Beatles in '63 because he knew a girl who'd been to England and brought back a copy of "Love Me Do" and of one of their early albums. So he's like an early adopter of the Beatles, 1963, before they really break in the U.S. You know, you said I knew a girl. That sounds like a Beatles song title. <laughs> <laughs> so um, fast forward a couple of months from that, and he forms the Mods with three of his friends from high school. Uh, Clowen was the drummer. Dave Smalley, who will feature in our story later, a future Raspberry, is also in the band. A guy named Don Heckle. They were both guitarists. And Tom Bowles was the lead singer. Uh, that lineup didn't last very long. And Heckle and Bowles, they leave. And they're replaced by two other future Raspberries, singer-guitarist Wally Bryson and drummer Jim Bonfanti. So these guys, you can tell by their name, are heavily influenced by the British invasion, especially the Beatles. In 1966, they end up changing their name to The Choir, and right after that, they go to Chicago to record their first single, and their first single is a song that is a so it's an early power pop hit called It's Cold Outside. It was written by Clowen. It was released in 1967. Think about this song being released in 1967. But now you're gone And everything's turned upside down And now it's cold outside And the rain is pouring down And the leaves are turning brown I mean, doesn't that sound like 1967 to you? <laughs> yes, and it also sounds like, how is that not a hit? Well, it, well, it was. It was a huge. Um, it was huge in Cleveland. Cleveland, man. Well, it, it hit number sixty-eight on the Billboard charts and number fifty-five on the Cashbox charts. I mean, that's not anything to sneeze at by a local band, like a well, local band. Well, I know, but yeah. still, um, I, I feel like I should have heard that song my whole life. An interesting little side note was my first time hearing it was uh, the lead singer of the Dead Boys, Stiv Bader's, had a, had a after the Dead Boys broke up, had a stint as a, he recast himself as a power pop, skinny tie power pop guy, and he re-recorded It's Cold Outside, and it's a great version of that song. So that was my first, and then I realized it was a cover of the choir song, so I, I heard that one too. Well, it seems like a lot of people should have covered that. Yeah. yeah, it's actually on one of those Nuggets box sets as being, you know, being one of these songs you need to pay attention to. But not after that single was recorded, Dan Clowen ends up leaving the band. And early on, the choir caught the attention of a young fellow by the name of Eric Carmen. He to, he says that he was going to high school and there was all this talk about this really great band. And he ventured out to see him and they, were, he, they blew him away. And he said, Wally, Dave and Jim were all members. They all played the chords right. They all sang the harmony parts right. I looked up that stage and said, boy, if I could get in that band, we could really do some damage. Anyway, he auditions and gets passed over. <laughs> <laughs> so not all long after that, he joins another band, Cleveland band, named Cirrus Erie. They were originally formed in 67 uh, by singer-guitarist Tim Manning and his brother Michael on drums and this guy named Bob McBride on bass. Eric Carmen and Marty, Mar Marty Murphy, who Marty Murphy had played with Carmen in, in one of his old bands, The Sounds of Silence, they joined Cirrus Erie later that year, and Carmen 
is playing uh, guitar and piano, and his singing skills and all of that stuff immediately elevates that band. In the fall of 68, as a result of the choir's temporary breakup and regrouping, Wally Bryson ends up replacing Murphy in Sirius Eerie. So he's got one aspect of, Carmen's got one aspect of the band he wanted in the band. And they start even getting bigger at that point. They're opening for the Who, for the Birds, for the Strawberry Alarm Clock. And they get the attention of this pr- producer named Sandy Linzer in New York. And they go up there and they, or I'm sorry, they go into a studio in Cleveland called Audio Recordings and they start, uh, they record a couple of songs. One of them is called The Painter and another one is called a, uh, called The Sparrow, which is an Eric Carmen original. Um, a few months later, that group goes to New York and they recorded several songs, including a new version of The Sparrow. So yeah, that's Sparrow by Cirrus Eerie. I like that. Yeah. A lot. Um what's what's funny about that is he starts getting a little bit of attention from other artists and he has some of his originals get in the hands of other people and he had this song called Light the Way that caught the attention of the recording artist called Oliver. Do you guys know Oliver? I have no idea. <laughs> He's the guy behind Good Morning Starshine. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so he recorded that Eric Carmen song as a single and it flopped. But anyway, so Sparrow comes out um, it's released. The B side of it, Get the Message, actually gets a little bit more national play. You only take me really like that one too. Yeah, that one is, uh, you can see kind of where the raspberries are mm-hmm. coming from there. Mm-hmm. Lots of hand claps. Um, so because Eric Carmen's getting all the attention, the Epic, uh, Epic Records decides they want to go after him as a solo artist. And that tends to piss some people off and, uh, things start to kind of flounder a little bit and Cirrus Erie breaks up in its absence. Uh, Carmen forms a new band with Dan Clowen on guitar called the quick. And they actually release a single on Epic called ain't nothing going to stop me. purple cover that sounded very different than what we've already heard <laughs> the, only, the only connection is eric carmen's voice on it yeah, you know? yeah. but so anyway I like that guitar coming i do like too that, what it, that sound, yeah. it sound like a jimmy hendrix something yeah, yeah. after hey, joe <laughs> yeah <laughs> it definitely sounds different than what they're going what they'd end up going for anyway after a couple of months the quick go back to cirrus eerie that lasts until about the early 70s uh carmen does record some songs for epic as a solo artist but they're never actually pressed in the meantime, he'd been keeping up with the choir drummer Jim Bonfanti, and the two of them are talking about stuff, and they they hatch a plan. As Carmen says, he and Bonfanti sat, sat down and said, what was happening in the music industry now, they don't love. So they wanted to start a band that was the antithesis of everything that's going on. And he says, three, three and a half minute pop songs, no extended guitar solos, no boring drum solos, none of the sort of self-indulgent stuff that the bands were doing now. 
every time you see him in an interview, and this goes, this is funny because I think about the episode we just did. He brings up two bands, Traffic and Cream, <laughs> as bands that he was trying to fight Made against. Made the anti-traffic and yes. anti-cream. <laughs> so, so anyway, out of that conversation, the Raspberries are born. And this is 1970 or so. The first lineup of the Raspberries are Eric Carmen. He's playing rhythm guitar, vocals, piano. Wally Bryson's lead guitar, vocals. John, This guy named John uh, Alexic on bass and Jim Bonfanti on drums. Their first choice on bass was Smalley, but he's in Vietnam doing a tour in Vietnam, so he's not available. Uh, but they call themselves the Raspberries. You guys know the story about how that name came about? Not at all. No, and I also don't know why there's a P in the word raspberry. <laughs> raspberry. Well, you have to talk to whoever came up with the fruit. But um, <laughs> Lord? <laughs> but uh, they're coming up with band names, and they're doing this. this is the old story. Nobody likes any of the names. And they're all, yeah, grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. Carmen comes up with one that he likes, but the rest of the band really hates. And so in channeling... Uh, the R gang slash little rascals character of Froggy, he goes, all raspberries like that. And the, the guys go, hey, that one's good. And so, hence. You, you don't remember the name they hated? No. No, so they went for raspberries. That's funny. I thought it was from uh, Archie Bunker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, he just goes, Archie was just blowing raspberries at Walter Cronkite. <laughs> he did blow a lot of raspberries. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I love this. The first their their live debut is in October 1970 in Northridge, Ohio, and the very first song they play is my favorite Beatles song. I've got a feeling. I've got a feeling, a feeling deep inside. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's right. I've got a feeling, a feeling I can't hide. Oh no. Uh, the band ends up getting a residency, uh, a weekly residency uh, sun, on Sundays at this club called the Angora in Cleveland. It's a big club in Cleveland. They start getting a steady following. They record a demo at Agency Studios, which is located just above the Angora Club. Uh, Alexic, the bassist, leaves the lineup, and they continue on as a trio for a while. Carmen ends up switching to bass. When Smalley returns home from his tour in Vietnam, he joins first as a rhythm guitarist and then... Uh, with Carmen still playing bass, and then later he switches to bass, and Carmen goes back to rhythm guitar. They start performing every Thursday night at this place called JB's in Kent, and they really start to build a pretty big following in the co- with the college local college scene. In May, this is this is a I, I have to talk about this. In May of seventy one, the Raspberries end up playing as Chuck Berry's backing band for a show. Oh, really? In shows in Columbus and Cleveland. And here's the story. They get this gig and they're really excited about it because this is Chuck Berry, one of their heroes. Uh, The show's supposed to start at 7. No Chuck Berry. 7.15, Chuck Berry pulls up, gets out of his car. He's just got his guitar. He's wearing like a floor-length fur. Just has his guitar and that's it. No amp? No. Wow. They go up to him and ask him what to expect. And he's surly and tells them, you know, just, you know, you got to keep up with me, boys, or something like that. Doesn't tell them what, you know, they're asking him what songs. He thought, uh, Carmen thought that they would, uh, like, tune their guitars or whatever. And he doesn't. He realizes Chuck Berry goes off in the corner, starts tuning his guitar. He's a half step out of tune with everybody else in the band. 
they go on they go on stage and start playing and it takes them a couple of like 30 seconds to get in get in sync with chuck berry then they notice chuck berry is purposely changing the chords to screw up the backing band up to, to make things difficult on him so they start watching his hands to figure out what chords he's starting on chuck berry notices this he turns away so they can't see the chords he's playing and it just was just horrible, horrible night. It was really stressful. They're all stressed out about it. It wasn't at all what they thought it was going to be like. Um, so when they play with them again, or when they at, when the, when his manager asks them to play back, they say no, and the manager begs them to do it. Um, but Chuck Berry has a stipulation: no solos, no extended bass runs, none of this stuff. Well, after a couple of more songs of them doing, of Barry doing this nonsense with the band. Carmen looks at the rest of the band and says, let's give it to him. And they start like knocking it out of the park, playing the way they can play. And Chuck Berry gets pissed, throws his guitar down, walks off the stage, comes back and says he was only supposed to play a certain amount of time and he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to finish the show. Some guy from the crowd yells, rock and roll ain't got no time or something like that. <laughs> but he still, you know, apologizes and walks off. And the raspberries end up playing a, a little bit more, but he said, you know, People blamed us for that, and we were luckily we weren't get weren't going to get lynched. But evidently, Chuck Berry did that a lot with bands that he yeah he, he's got it in his contract that you have to hire a band, or he had it in his contract. You have to hire the band, and he only thing he does is show up with his guitar, and you're supposed to know Chuck Berry's greatest hits. That's the, the only requirement. Yeah, but if he's not playing them in the same I know, key or playing, anything, yeah. you know, I mean, that's, that's anyway. It's uh, Carmen said that he was intentionally man. trying to make the make himself look better by making the backup band look bad, which I don't know how that works. But yeah, yeah. I do that all the time in here. <laughs> you do, you yeah. do, you succeed. Yep. yep. Anyway, they got revenge when uh, John Lennon got uh, his his bride up there with oh, Chuck geez. Berry. <laughs> Man, that is I love watching Chuck Berry's face when Yoko starts singing. It, it's it's you look at his face and you go, "That's what everybody who's not kissing John Lennon's ass is thinking at this moment." Um, anyway, anyway, it sounds like he deserved it. <clears throat> yeah. Yep. Now we we got to talk about Jimmy Ianer a little bit. Uh, the Raspberries get a demo tape to him uh does anybody want to talk about him briefly he's the producer of their four albums yeah he produces the four albums he's worked with a lot of those kind of tiger beat bands i call them like the bay city rollers and i think he i want to say uh sean Casty or whatever but he did that kind what, of stuff what did the bay city rollers ever do saturday night i think is the only huh? they, were, they're really a, a very poppy that's a fantastic yeah. song. Yeah, that's a great song. <laughs> that, I remember when Howard Cosell had his uh, variety show. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they played on there, and Kiss played on there. Well, <laughs> I can say this about the bass of the roles. Say what you want to, but uh, it, it's... This is going to sound like a weird statement, but there's some truth to it. I'm not sure we'd have the Ramones without the bass of the rollers. Those guys love the bass of the rollers. I think you've said that before. It's true. Yeah. Um, anyway, this the, the one story I heard about how they got the demo tape to him was they flew to New York with their demo with them and am now i'm not sure how this would work but this is the story they ambushed jimmy Ianer in in grand central station and made him promise to listen to the demo then and there but regardless of whether that's the true story or not he dug what he heard and he agreed to produce him and he produces all four of their lps and he helps them get get uh some notice from labels and after a major bidding war they end up getting signed to as we said earlier capital records and, well, and this this fella is is no slouch. Uh, no. He he continues. Uh, he wins eighty five gold or platinum albums, 
No, he's in the a course of his career. Yeah, he's yeah. worked with Kiss and Pink Floyd also. Yeah, he's no. he's somebody else. It's funny. There's a video of them of the Raspberries. I'll put it on the website of them uh, doing songs in the studio, and he's actually singing with the band. So he's one of these producers that was very hands on, but the band did not have any issues with him being that hands on. They appreciated what he did for them. So. Anyway, so that kind of brings us up to their debut album. That was recorded at New York's uh, Record Plant Studios, and you said part of it part was... Part of it in uh, uh, Abbey Road as well, yeah. Right. There's issues with the debut. Uh, they're, like, we've heard this before, a lot of bands, they're, they can't get the way they sound live on the album, and they're really, really upset with how how clean it sounds and the low volume of it. And uh, they actually had to re-record the whole thing again. Uh, the first go around, they said it sounded sterile. The second time, they, it got better. But even with that, um, the big hit song on that album, Go All the Way, evidently sounded horrible. And to the point where Eric Carmen was lobbying to keep it off the album. He didn't want to release it. Huh. Yeah. And, and he thought it sounded horrible, like rough? It or? didn't sound like what he had in his head. It sounded too... I don't know, pretty or something like it's that. It's not one of these things where they play it too slow. No, too, no, no, no. Or too fast. Not Billy Joel. Yeah, yeah no, no, no. Like no. The, the, the weird thing was, though, uh, before we get into the studio or the story of how they fixed that, the label didn't want to release that as a single once it was on the album. They released Don't Want to Say Goodbye, which is this five-minute ballad. And Eric Carmen's like, I don't want to complain. I didn't want to tell the label what to do. But releasing a five-minute ballad is not really introducing the world <laughs> to the raspberries. And the other weird thing the label did is when they sent it out to radio stations, they didn't have any – there wasn't anything on the label. I mean, uh, on the label of the singles because uh, Capital said, well, you guys sound enough like the Bee Gees. The Bee Gees are hot. Let's see if we can't get people fooled to thinking you might be the Bee Gees and play your record. <laughs> So that didn't go over well. It did break the top 100, but just barely. It hit number 86 on the Billboard Hot 100 and uh, and also, I think, in the 90s on Cashbox. But anyway, going back to Go All the Way. Would we like to, oh, would, um, would we like to hear Go All the Way? Yeah, it was Go That and then I'll t- talk about it. You know, a lot of people probably have heard Go All the Way, especially the younger uh, folks in our audience. <laughs> Can you tell us why? I don't have any, I don't have any idea. Really? Yeah, there is a series of movies involving. Oh, Marvel that's comics. right. It's uh, what is it? The uh, Gu- Guardians, Guardians of, of the Galaxy. Galaxy. I forgot that was on the. I, Which I is actually um, of all the Marvel stuff. That's actually the only stuff I can stand. Yeah, anymore. me too. Yeah. But uh, because they don't take themselves seriously. Yeah, it's on the mixtape, right? It's on Awesome Mix Volume One. <laughs> Because the guy, the main character's enamored with the '80s, right? Or is he from the '80s? But I don't know anything. Some about. connection with his mom and the music she used to play. Okay. Yeah, and he's, and he's got awesome mixtapes. I'll, I'll admit I haven't seen those films. Uh, oh, they're good. I've seen both of I, them, but I don't. I'm know. not much into the uh, the comic book genre, but these guys have such good characters, and uh, yep. the music's good, of course. So uh, I'm going to play Awesome Mix Volume One. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Raspberries with Go All The Way. <laughs> that was a top five hit 
on the Billboard Hot 100 and a top four hit on Cashbox. This is the way Carmen described the song. He said it was in his head. He goes, it opens with the Who playing Won't Get Fooled Again. Then you hit the verse and suddenly it's the Beach Boys playing Don't Worry Baby with McCartney singing. Then the chorus comes and the left bank comes in <laughs> singing in the background. <laughs> then we go back to the Who. Um, the I other, think that's pretty accurate. That's pretty that, accurate, especially they, uh, at the end there. Yeah, we, you start out with those guitars um, yeah. and then... An iconic guitar opening, if it ever is. there is. It's a great... The guitars are great, but they do not prepare you for right. when the singing starts. Yeah. You feel like your needle skipped. And, and the the other thing was the he switched the point of view on the song. So it's a song about getting lucky, but it's the girl talking to the guy, asking him to go all the way instead of what happens. You know, and they're obviously on a vacation trying to reach some destination. <laughs> Yeah. Was, that part was never clear to me. But but like I said, he didn't want the song released, and what he said... Neither did some people in England, I believe. <laughs> oh, really? There were some uh, BBC problems with it. Oh, uh, I didn't know. They yeah. thought it had something to do with... Well, Getting busy? Mommy and the daddy love each other. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Jam, I was going to ask you about this. He said what fixed it was the engin- album's engineer, Shelly Yankis, stuck the track through a limiter. Yeah. And uh, that changed limiter, the sound. It's, yeah, it's a... It, um, limits, right? <laughs> <laughs> it will pull out uh, frequencies, so you can actually. It, so it probably uh, got rid of a lot of the noise and the hiss that was okay. behind. That guy Shelyakis is a, a masterful engineer. So anyway, that uh, that album is uh, is is their debut. That that song was on their debut. It's huge, huge, huge. Goes up the charts. Uh, we ta- already talked about the goofy raspberry scented scratch and sniff cover. Um, and, uh, and it <laughs> makes me laugh every time. Yeah. And the, well, it's, you know, what's so funny is evidently you can still smell it. Like if you pull it out of some bins, people are like, this still smells like raspberries <laughs> or whatever. Fake raspberries. It's a good na- thing. Their name was raspberries. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. there's other bands that a scratch and sniff would not have been. <laughs> Fog at. <laughs> <laughs> Grateful dead. You scratch that. Lord knows what that smells like. Pot and BO. Um, anyway, sorry, deadheads. Uh, <laughs> Um, so we, and we talked about the, uh, the teeny bopper thing. Yeah. One of the highlights though, of, of when they're touring for that album, uh, actually it might've even been when they were recording or recording it, they get to play at this thing called the ultimate ROQ rock concert for KROQ FM in LA. It's, it's on the bill of Stevie wonder, the Eagles, the Bee Gees and the four seasons. And it's 60,000 people they get to play in. Wow. Them, so. That's there you go. Amazing. Yeah, that's great. I guess that is, that's a act. that's a strange combo. It is, but those were the, you know this is still in the infancy of rock and roll when you would do those weird yeah those weird package things. Well, yeah, everybody hasn't broken up into their radio stations haven't broken right. up into their right. uh, particular genres. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. Think, speaking of radio, one of the things that the band struggled with was marketing them as a teeny bopper band. They got played on AM. And yeah. they didn't get paid on a lot of FM stations. And and as Carmen says, you know, your sixteen, your fourteen year old sister might love us, but it was really hard to get it, get their eighteen year old brother to get into us because of that. So <laughs> you know, that's a good way to say it. And, yeah. and I'm glad you brought that up because I, it just occurred to me we've we've talked before about the distinction at this time between FM bands and AM bands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And uh, this is definitely reminds me of that AM band. Yeah, yeah. but I think what happens, and, and we, we've we mentioned this before, I think what happens is you get older and being hip becomes less of an issue. Well, yeah. You realize how... You mean older like us, yes. not older like 18. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> older like us, you realize how great that music is when all well, that... You, do. you, know, yeah, you don't well, have to wear the, your hip You've turned your nose up to What's, some awfully good music just because you're... Uh, more concerned about your image. Yeah, one of the things I think we need to, for our younger listeners, uh, <laughs> all three of them, all three of them, <laughs> our AM, yeah, children. <laughs> AM was uh, mono. That was the only way you could get it. There was no such thing as stereo AM. I don't think you, I think it's still that way too. Okay. And uh, um, FM was stereo. So that's where you started getting the album oriented rock where you could, you would want to listen to it with your headphones and stuff. And that was, you know, more sophisticated. And, and it was, everybody sounded like this. Yeah. Everybody, everybody was supposed, you know, that, it was designed. I don't know why they're different that way, but what's AM stand for, Jim? Alternating, uh, I don't know. Amplitude modulation. Amplitude modulation. And then we have FM, which is frequency, frequency modulation. modulation. But the, that was the thing. You, and so the, a lot of the 45s and stuff were, were mono and they were designed for kids to play on their little uh Sears robot thing. yeah and then the albums were designed you know the stuff they played on fm was designed for the big stereo systems yeah. and everything so and that was a big deal it's it's funny all these all these uh um albums that we are doing from uh, i was listening to yardbirds the other day and you can hear it's still so cool to have this guy singing in this ear, and yeah. this guy singing in the other. Well, they would do that weird thing with stereo where they would pan, plant, pan to left and right mm-hmm. to yeah. give you that effect. Yeah. And it was so awesome back then. Yeah. Now, it was, now it, uh, it would just be irritating. Yeah. Of course, <laughs> now we're back to kids listening to mono because yes. they all just have their uh, – either they're listening on earbuds or they're listening to a uh, – a, a big a streaming deal on a yeah. on a speaker you can fit in your pocket. Yeah. yeah. Well, guys, that that essentially brings us up to fresh. Tony, anything else you want to talk about? Maybe even the visual art aspect <laughs> of this. Uh, yeah. Can we talk about the album cover before we get to the music? <laughs> well, it is kind of a connection. It looks very Donny uh, Osmond esque. Is this the ugliest album cover it, we've done it, since it, we've done this podcast? You know how when you're going through albums and you're going flip, 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 yeah. flip, flip, flip. If you see this one, it makes you flip faster. If you yeah. don't know who it is, yeah. um, but it's it's funny. This is seventy two. They've had enough time to know this is bad. Yeah. Then we've already watched the Beach Boys mm-hmm. switch from their candy stripe or whatever the mm-hmm. striped outfits, and they decide to go from straight outfits into white tuxedos. Yeah. And everybody's calling them nerds and dorks, and uh, it's obviously not cool. And so these guys come along and decide, oh yeah, let's do that too. <laughs> they don't have they're any being pressure. Are they being pressured to wear that? <laughs> I don't think so. I think it was Eric Carmen's idea. I think so, too. <laughs> and I think uh, the rest of the band went along with it, but didn't particularly like it. But it doesn't really push them away from that teeny bopper image. That Not looks like... Mm-mm. I mean, you look at that and you see the Bay City Rollers, right? Oh, yeah. Easily. And you got your collar outside your lapel. Which <laughs> well, it says 1972, <laughs> my friend. Cool. Yeah. Super cool. It's like they're uh, all going to church. It, it, is a, it is an unfortunate album cover. Yeah. Uh, and, and looking at it, you don't realize the glories that are in between on the grooves yeah. looking at that album cover. Yeah. And they they have a what's what's Carmen's deal with the poofy hair? I mean, <laughs> it doesn't go away. If you look at pictures of them today, yeah. now it's still it's still yeah. poofy. Well, uh, anyway. But we don't listen with our eyes, we listen with our ears, right, Tony? We do. We do listen with our ears. Anything else before we go into this uh 
power pop. No, I that, mean there, there's little stories, little pop. little stories sprinkled throughout the songs. We can talk about at the at that point. I think. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, up first we have uh, the tune "I Want to Be with You." I want to I be with I, I you. Want, isn't it? I wanna. Oh, that doesn't fit the. Uh, I think that sounds like a hit, T. I think that sounds like a great way to start an album. Yes, love that 12-string guitar coming in there like that. We, uh, I don't know if we mentioned how much fun this album is that we're talking about tonight, but this is a pretty <laughs> well, fun Well, we did album. before we started because, ladies and gentlemen, we had some hard rain coming down, and, I, and it was gloomy and dark. Yep. And I was thinking, this is actually the wrong kind of weather for this album. This is a sunny, happy... Uh, Run with your girlfriend holding hands in the park album. <laughs> yeah. This is just power pop bliss, this yeah, song. It's, it's, it's just great. Those ringing guitars, those frantic drums. The drums are like a machine gun yeah. going out. And then and then those harmonies and the way his voice rings out over everything. Yep. And I love the chorus. I just oh, yeah. love the chorus. And they get to it really fast. Yeah. Too. Well, they're doing they're doing what they said set out to do, and that's make pop tunes that yeah. You don't have to. Uh, they're, they're definitely reacting against. I, I don't hear any traffic in this. No, and then and then you get that you get that bridge, and there's yeah. some horns in there that bring this kind of fifties, the yeah. splash of fifties rock to the bridge, and it just it just works perfectly. Yep. And the you know it's just you it's can a, see this being sung on a, on a, like a Annette Funicello and who's that other Frankie Avalon? Is it Frankie Avalon? Yeah, it's like one of those beach scenes on the yeah. It's a happy, happy song. It is. Song. It was their second biggest hit. Hit number 16 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number 100 on, I'm mean, sorry, number 10 on the Cashbox Top 100. There, yeah, Here's another connection I really forgot to talk It's not really a connection because we haven't done a ton of a Todd Rundgren album, but there is a connection to Todd Rundgren on this song. Is that right? Yes. Mm. When they were recording this album, Rundgren was in another studio and he kept popping in and checking things out and leaving. Later on, he releases an album, um, and whichever album has I, I couldn't I just tell you on it which album? Oh yeah, that? that's uh, something something anything. anything. Yeah. So Todd Rundgren was in another studio and he kept coming in the Raspberry Session and uh, and he would listen to stuff and he felt like Rundgren was incorporating so aspects of the Raspberry songs into I can't remember. Uh, of the Raspberry songs, I can't remember in the songs like I Saw the Light, and, and it wouldn't have made any difference. And so to get revenge, he took part of Couldn't I Just Tell You and incorporated it into this song. Well, see that. he should Good be lucky. Uh, anyone who has Todd Rundgren enter their studio and get out that light is, uh, <laughs> is very fortunate. Yeah. He might have sat down and uh, given some instructions. Yes. So that is a tune 
written by Carmen, yeah. and the lead vocals are Carmen. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're about to change that with Going Nowhere Tonight. Didn't really want to turn I know. that down. I that sounded that uh, at the end. That's a very uh, Harrison esque. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, this is uh, Smalley singing. Uh, lead on this i can almost see graham parsons singing this you know it, it's got that you know what it reminds me of is pure prairie league yeah mm-hmm. yeah it has it has a lot of space left in it but but it's not very it's not so dissimilar as you mentioned harrison from stuff that the beatles would do when they would country things up in fact you, you fade it out right before that chorus which is pure pure beatles yeah that chorus so it's, it's you hear the country part and then you hear when the, that part comes in and you can see that it's still a pop song there's oh, a yeah. lot <clears throat> Uh, I was distracted listening to this early by all the Beatles and this is, is uh, you got Paul McCartney's growl coming out of Eric Carmen mm-hmm. frequently, and they don't seem to be embarrassed or ashamed to be uh, blatantly uh, copying this stuff. And then we have uh, trumpets. I'm not sure I'll remember what song, but I've we got have, it noted. A piccolo. Uh, yeah. Well, we have a. Uh, don't we have trumpets from? Uh, um, so you got a Penny Lane. You Penny got a, pic, a piccolo. It's a piccolo. Trump, yeah, piccolo, piccolo trumpet, trumpet from Penny Lane is definitely in a song on this album, and yeah. uh, a lot of other things. And uh, uh, to me, Carmen's voice is frequently uh, like McCartney. Well, there's one song on on this album in particular that's like you could hear McCartney singing, it. and in in, in uh, a song we'll get to, they try to sound like uh, the Beach Boys real hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. but by the end of the song, they're back to sound like the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I like this guy's voice. Uh, what's his name? Oh. Smalley. 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 I like his voice better than Eric Carmen's voice. I do and too. Eric Carmen has a technically a better voice and a very unique voice, but it it gets old uh, quickly, and I can't yeah. describe what it is about his voice. And this is the uh, he. Yeah, he's after the raspberries. He's kind of nowhere to be found. I don't know. There's, I don't know what happened you're talking about. Smalley, guy. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's not talking about Carmen. <laughs> um, I, you know what I think it is about Eric Carmen's voice? It's um, it sometimes it's just a bit much. Yeah, I, it's just a bit much. I think there's something tried. to the timber of it that um, I, I struggle with. And I agree. I yeah. think it's a little bit. There's something about Paul McCartney's voice which I don't like. Sometimes, most of the time, I like it. And th- whatever it is in his voice that I don't like a little bit is also in Carmen's voice, except it's a there, heavier a dose. Yeah. And I don't know what it is, and I got really frustrated listening well, to this I album think it's trying not to figure really, out what it was. It's not really a rock and roll voice. I think that's the thing that it, kind of... He tries. Right. He, he tries. tries to be he right. tries, but it's and not. It's not. It's difficult. And Smalley, I agree with you. It's a nice change of pace. And he and there's a point on this album when we flip it over to side two. There's a one two song where you can kind of really tell the difference between the two of them yeah. and their approach. And uh, and it's yeah. it's interesting. So so they wrote that one together. They did. They co-wrote that one. Yeah. And uh, then we go to let's pretend. Yes. And that's the name of the song, ladies and gentlemen. We're not. Pretending. Can't have feeling. That's the way it ought 
That wasn't a hit. It was their second single on the album. It seems like I heard that all my life. That that song that song's always reminded me of Queen. Always, I can hear that. I, but I just heard the. Uh, this is the first time I listened to it. Hearing McCartney, I, I really that. Oh well, something that we have to say. We just talked about his voice. Not many people could sing this song. No, no, they would no. have to it drop down instead of going higher. Yeah. So this song was inspired by a Time magazine cover of these these two teenage kids out in the woods they're come out according to carmen they're dripping wet on the cover and the headline said something like teenage sex <laughs> so it's inspired by that and the beach boys wouldn't it be nice <laughs> i could see that so um <laughs> he also here's here's something he also said it's the best melody he ever wrote in fact he used it used part of the melody for all by uh, myself all, all by myself yeah. <laughs> he he dripped himself off for it. Uh, this was the second single. It hit number thirty five on the Billboard Hot one hundred and number eighteen on the Cash Box. It wasn't as big as the pre as the previous song was in terms of charts. Uh, do you guys know about the weird promotional giveaway no. related to this song? Uh uh-uh. uh <laughs> This is fascinating. So going along with their sort of teeny bopper image, uh, <laughs> Capital. In conjunction with a magazine called Star Magazine, which was a teen magazine, although they were they were really it was kind of more of a grungy teen magazine. They talked about a lot of the groupies and stuff like that, but it was a teen magazine. It wasn't around for very long. They held a national a nationwide sweepstakes in seventy three as a promotion uh, for the release of Let's Pretend. The prize was a custom made raspberry colored Rolls wagon, and what the Rolls wagon was is a car designed by George Burris. You know who George Burris uh-uh. is? George Burris made the Batmobile from the TV show, oh. the Monkey Mobile, <laughs> and the Monsters Coach, just to name a few wow. few things. Uh, the car was a customized Volkswagen Bug that, to look it customized to look like a miniature Rolls with a special quote unquote raspberry pearl paint and a green vinyl top, <laughs> complete with foxy fur upholstery and a here you go quadrasonic eight track player. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> the contest entry was also on a special picture sleeve for the single. And, and when and, they, and people filling it out were asked, so tell me if this isn't marketing, they were asked to fill, out, um, fill it out and name the foxiest raspberry and why. <laughs> so 100 raspberry albums were given away as a second prize and a bunch, of, a bunch of raspberry jam ice cream gift certificates were also given away. The car was won by a young girl in a small town in Florida, and it was a big deal when she won it. They had a parade. Uh, <laughs> Jim Bonfanti, who was the one she named the Aww, foxiest, yeah. came down there, and the mayor of the city gave him a key to the city. Um, she wasn't actually old enough to drive the car when she won it. <laughs> so her, uh, her older cousin got it, but she did evidently learn how to drive a stick on the car. So uh, well, I wonder where that car a is. Of, a lot it? of kids don't do that. Now I've seen a lot of Volkswagens with the Rolls, uh, grill. On yeah. Them yeah. It was, a, it was, a, it was a the kit, origin but, of all of it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I've got some pictures I'll put on the website that are really, she's not old great. enough to, uh. You know, drive she's, the car, but she's old enough to flirt with uh, the drummer, a rock star, yeah. a rock and roll drummer. She was three years shy of driver's age. Jeez. Hmm. So, you know, I like this song. And one of the things is it could have gone a lot of different places that it went. It, I mean, they could have had a big choir behind it and a big string section and everything. But I like how they just kind of kept it um, 
you know, more intimate. And I love those har- harmonies. Uh, the harmonies save the song in a lot of way. They yeah. keep it from being a little schmaltzier than it had. It had the possibility of being, I think. Yeah. And his, it's, uh, it sounds like what his voice is for. I yeah. agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, he does it. He does show off his voice on this one, and it's a really, you know, it's a good voice. He's got a th- almost a three octave voice, is what I read. It's incredible. So. That we go from let's pretend to every way I can. Another Smalley lead. That remind me of "Fool for the City." I'm fool for the city by Fog Hat, mm-hmm. and "Give Me Three Steps" by Leonard Skinner. A little hmm. shuffle. Yep. It it sounds very AM radio to me. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's this, I, I think this is a good sort of you know this song. Listening to Smalley sing on this, you know, as I said, Carmen can be a bit much. This guy's just got a straightforward, yeah, good old rock, rock and roll voice. And roll voice yeah. It's um. It's very smart to put this right after the mm-hmm. last, yeah. Because you may be about to go roller skating to that last song. Yeah, this one gets you back on your uh, back in your uh, Mustang fastback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's so it's that's a good written one. by Smalley and sung by. Smalley. I love the bass work yeah. in it too. It makes yeah. sense that the bassist wrote it, so it makes sense that it's got some nice bass work going on. It's a great song. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't sound like the same band. It doesn't. No, it doesn't. It's interesting, and, and 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 I like I like the juxtaposition of him singing lead and Carmen being the back like the backup harmony. It works mm-hmm. really well on this song. It, really it does, does. and I, I tell you, this is unlike some other albums where we talk about coherence and um, where their voices like kind of start to sound. This same. one, this song leads us to this, and we and we can have we're picking up a theme here, and there's none of that on this. This is a pure pop tunes, mm-hmm. one after another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that there's the. There's coherence in the sound of the band, but yeah, we're we're moving all over the place. Yep. Now we're going to move for I reach the light. I can't begin to count the times I have been by myself. I lie awake, my lonely room tells me there's no That's my favorite song on the album. I love the little switcheroo. You got that really, you don't know where you're going with that piano intro, and it slides straight into a McCartney song. (laughs) I thought we were about to hear, I I will survive. (laughs) Yeah, with the intro. And then you get that bouncy McCartney piano, and the vocals are the most McCartney vocals on the album. And um, and then you get the out that that, yeah, uh, that that guitar part going that, out is that dual slide. And, and this yeah. is the song with the piccolo trumpet on it. Oh, yeah. is it? Yes. Yeah. And so then he it, wasn't trying to hide anything. No. And then at the end, when he's like, "I reach for the 
lot. He's See, got that growly McCartney thing. thing. That's yeah. the thing. That's that's the part that gives me the heebie-jeebies when he does that. That yeah. very end. I I think that's totally unnecessary. I like it because it's you've got. I the, think everything on this record's unnecessary, and it's <laughs> it's fun that way. I think. <laughs> well, yeah, but he to me that just takes me out of the the, the whole the rest of the song. Let's I wish see he, if I can find what you're talking about with the. I love that. I love it, man. I think it's great. Why don't we do it in the road? <laughs> yeah, I love that stuff. That's the, I, when Carney gets that way. I love it, and I love it when Carmen think, does it I too. I think it's good. Yeah. Um, it's got some very ELO harmonies at the end there too. Uh, yeah, you know there. there I were wonder time- if they were uh, in, inspired by the same band. <laughs> <laughs> there were times when I felt like there was that this could have slid into that ELO territory, but it it has enough of a. Hey, you know what? Let's not go that far. Yeah, that it kept it. From well, they didn't that. like another one where they could have added strings and a choir yeah. and all, and they just they kept it pretty simple. Well, they didn't have relatively to live simple. up to. That's true. They're not the uh, uh, strawberry orchestra. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Flipping over, and now it's nobody knows. That's not how it goes, by the way. great singing oh it is and you get to this point of the album and you start wondering uh does this guy have an endless supply of catchy tunes just yeah. well this is another so pull out like a small. kleenex yeah so you you didn't ask me in the beginning why i picked this album which is no big deal but uh because i struggled with this album and a couple of the you ones mean that, why did you pick this one instead of other, other raspberry albums? there's only a person who's brand new to the show would have asked why you picked the raspberry <laughs> album and well i, I just want to say because i struggled between this and side three and and even their last album but i kept coming back to this song and the one after it being just remind this is a damn near perfect pop song it is and that and, i love the guitars and, on it that and it sounds piece. like that era of beat my favorite era of the beatles that yeah. 1965 yeah. beatles era yeah and uh and it's just it's just so great. This so uh, this it, just for anyone who's wondering why I picked this Raspberries album, this song and the next one pushed it over the top for me for their albums. So yeah. who would have been the second choice? Which album? Probably side three. Probably the one after this. It's a little harder edged, um, but uh, but is, it's just is Carmen more or less dominant on that one? Uh, about the same. About the same, maybe a little bit more. But uh, the songs are are crunchier on that album. They, it's the one where they said they felt like they hit their, uh, hit their, their stride, their stride playing playing in the studio like they sounded live as well. Mm-hmm. But but this song is just so fantastic. Yeah, it is. Um, I just love that strumming again, guitars. It's, it's almost like, all acoustic. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's this is always something stupid to say that something came easy to someone and yeah. you didn't see the work go into yeah. it but yeah. these tunes seem like they come easily to him it's, it just, I think you might be right he's I mean I think he's uh, anyway yeah he's one of those prodigies that we come across like we did with the uh, Beach Boys with Brian Wilson yeah all right <laughs> and you know what I'm saying about his music mm-hmm. it seems so easy 
<laughs> Next song, ladies and gentlemen, it seems so easy. Remembering I love babe Remembering the good days The days when we both thought it would stay Just thinking about you So warm there beside me I'd look in your eyes and then you'd say I don't know how you resist that, ladies and gentlemen. It's my favorite song on the album. It's my second favorite song on the album. And that's the Smalley singing on that one. It is. It is. But it is. I mean, this is the perfect mashup of what I love about the birds and what I love about the Beatles put into one song. Yeah. It's perfect. (laughs) I can say that. And, and, uh, you know, the one thing that we haven't really talked about in going through these songs, because we're only playing snippets of it, is... What we're hearing is great, but the choruses of these songs are unbelievable. They're yeah. fantastic, and they're almost like I, I don't know. They take you someplace else, and all the bridges are great too. Oh, I yeah. mean, what they do, it just seems they're perfectly crafted songs yeah. from beginning to end, uh, and and seem to be exactly all everything in it. They seem exactly what you need for the song to work. I mean, I, I don't know how it sounds really good. And on but, this particular song, if you want to know what the 12 string is for, yeah. that, I mean, that, yeah. it, this is a perfect 12 string song and it's I, so good. I'm a sucker as well for, for I don't know what you'd call it or if it's even a, a, a writing scene technique. When you've got a line, a verse, and the first line is sung straight, and then the second line is when the harmony comes in and it changes the feel of that. I don't know what that is, but songs that do that just get me every yeah. time. I just love it. Yep. And well, this does that. I, I think the way I describe this have, have y'all ever seen something made with low with uh, uh, Legos? Uh huh. And you don't know it's made with Legos. Oh yeah. Until yeah. you get close and yeah. you go, "Oh wow!" Yeah. Um, that's what these songs. They look like a complete mm-hmm. thing, and you get closer to them, and and you realize they were <laughs> there. There were. They were built, uh, but they, they yeah. just seem to that, like they come out as this complete perfect yeah. thing. There's, there's no sign of the construction of them. Um, I love the little harmonic flourishes yeah, on it. Those that, little bing, bing, bing. Yeah, and then again, I, I think yeah. this is a, I think the, this song and nobody knows are perfect one, two way to kind of compare small, the way Smalley approaches a song and the way Carmen approaches a song. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. both perfect for those songs. Yeah. And both, if you switch the vocalists on them, they wouldn't work as well. I agree. You know? Yeah. Yep. And uh, I, I think I already said this, but it, it's so important to me that we got to switch vocalists in this album mm-hmm. more, more than any album up. I, I would have probably gotten Carmen fatigue. I think so. I think so. It's a bit Even much. though he's, it's so strange because he's one of the best voices of anyone yeah. we've talked about. Right? No, I agree with you, At though. It's, 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 yeah. it, gets, it, gets, it gets a little over the top sometimes yeah well we got another singer on the next one let's go on we might might as well might as well (laughs) might as well give in have to say it's true can't believe it's happened to me but who i'm glad it's you i guess you were the one from the start and try as I may, I can't say that we'll part so I Might as well give in and say I love you All the times before 
This is the only one by Wally Bryson, the guitar player. Yeah, and he's got this kind of interesting British lilt yeah, to his he voice does. when he sings. Yeah. It sounds the most uh, most British to me. I, I, I mean, if that sounds... Does. What is I that? A fair point convention. What is that? Is that a guitar, that high pit? What is that? I think he's got his guitar... Um, mm-hmm. Capoed high. Capoed really high, yeah. Okay. Because so. I couldn't figure out what that was. This is another song that does, and you photoed it out just before I did it, where they, they have that straight line verse and the harmonies Yeah, then kick the harmonies in. come in, yeah. I was going to ask you, Doug, uh, I know they're not complex or whatever, but there's a lot... Of, these songs have some pretty cool bridges. Does this? Do these songs do what you like in a bridge or... In terms well, of, it's a little bit like what I was talking about with the uh, the Legos. Yeah, you can't see the parts fitting together. Yeah, yeah. It's the bridges sound. Well, of course, of yeah. course, this is happening. Yeah, and there are so many bridges where you can tell the guy went. Well, I Not need a bridge. Yeah, yeah. Um, in there. Let me just reverse the uh, <laughs> the chorus. <laughs> reverse yeah. the chord. <laughs> Uh, let me just. Uh, I'm gonna find a minor chord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about a minor? We'll just switch to a minor. That will. Yeah, that will wake everyone up. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good song, though. Oh, it's great. Yeah, I don't think there's a bad song. Um, if there's a bad song on this album, I didn't pay close enough attention to yeah. find it. Yeah. Uh, if any criticism I have of this album would not involve songwriting whatsoever. Yeah. Mostly album cover choices. <laughs> <laughs> they fix that though. Later All right. On, later albums. If you change. Your mind. Cause there's nothing left for me to do except to set you free. So let me leave now before I cry. I'll just go back to my room and hide. And never let no one else inside do this again. I think that's an example of what you're talking about with the the uh, verse, and then there's the pre-chorus, mm-hmm. and then the chorus, and that's a pattern they do a lot. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought that's an attractive model. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This sounds, it's so odd. I have in my notes that this sounds the most like Todd Rundgren to me. And it's surprised. I mean, <laughs> now that you say that he was actually in the Maybe same I, studio. He was in yeah. for uh, that one, too. Yeah. This uh, sounds like I see the light. This, uh, to me, feels like um, that um, I, this feels like you can see where. Eric Carmen's going to go after he leaves the band though a little yeah. bit. This I again, I agree with you Doug. There's not anything to knock on in these songs, but if if in comparison to the other songs on this album, I think this feels like the weakest song on the album. Really? Though, just in comparison. I, I yeah. think there's a problem with the guitar playing at the beginning. Yeah. I think it sounds rough. Uh it's I don't know who's playing that guitar, but it, it doesn't sound Yeah. There's something needed to be done. It it's you can the strokes sound the way Springsteen looks when he plays the yeah. guitar. <laughs> they, 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 up, down, up, down, up, down. It, it also sounds the most 70s to me. Like it's Most of this album doesn't sound dated to me yeah. in that way. This song does. Now, again, that's in comparison to everything else. I'm not no, knocking it's, it's this not song. song. It's not a no, bad song. No, it's not song. a bad song. Um, you know, another thing about it, it, um, it the, the rhyme scheme on it kind of gets to, you know, there, there's just... You know, it's one of those where it, I can't remember what the the line is, but it, it's one of those obvious 
you know, where you're like right night, and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. rain and pain. And it's just like, okay. I know, Walking, I talking. Yeah. It's one of those where you're going, please don't, please don't. Pl- yeah. Oh, you, oh, did, you it. did it. <laughs> <laughs> but, All yeah. right. Now we go to uh, driving round. Long hot days, we'll be catching the rays. You know my tape deck is blasting my car. When school lets up and the summer's here, we'll have some time for the sun. Throw my notebooks out. Well, if his tape deck's blasting, his car should have been fasting. Yeah. Well, I, fasting. Uh, fasting. Again, again, you like turn it down right when they, his vocals start to get a little yeah. interesting. You're but again, we can put that. That's <laughs> fine. Um, well, this is obviously channeling the Beach Boys. I mean, that's say, well, you know, the Beach Boys here. weren't exactly being the Beach Boys at this time. So I guess this is yeah, you needed something. They're like filling this. the gap. Yeah. But, but, what you but can, at the end of the at the end of the song, they forget that they're supposed to be Beach Boys. I mean, it's, but it's almost immediate. You can't you can't shake the raspberries guitars on yeah. it. The the bridge is. There he comes. Here comes Paul. You hear that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a good song. I, I don't, I guess it's a good way to end the album. I think it's a good way to end the yeah. album. I, I, it leaves me feeling like I just walked up to a cliff and went, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. I need something to take me down a little. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, of course, I was listening to, uh, uh, I was streaming this, um, and usually there's more after it. Right. Yeah. So I didn't get dropped on the edge that way it's a good song and a very good effort at what they're doing uh but i would have ended with a different yeah i probably would have too i mean it's a it's more of an homage than anything else i guess they're all homages to a certain extent (laughs) but this seems more like a direct like we're going to channel the beach boys and not just sort of where our influence is on our sleeve Uh but uh no it's 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 a good song it's just i agree it's a little weird to end the album on this note um but there you are. Yeah. This uh, and, and the, uh, a song that's on this level. Mm-hmm. That how you wrap it up is not as as important as some other songs, right? Or right. some other albums where right. you would uh, want the appropriate thing to wrap it all up for. Right. You. Especially if you've gone on a deep journey through your feelings and right. Which this is not about that at all. Nope. nope. Even if so, you're getting dumped, it's I'm getting songs dumped. about girls. <laughs> um. So this album debuted uh or outsold their debut it hit number 16 really yeah it topped 16 and uh mike sanders or saunders music critic this is what he had to say which is i find interesting comparisons to badfinger are out because the raspberries are already better than badfinger this is the best album i've heard in a long time and it looks like we have an important group on our hands this album is so good it's almost on rubber soul level that's what this guy said about it. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think it's before Rubber Soul. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who said that? Uh, Mike Saunders. He was a cr- music critic. I think he wrote for Cream and maybe Rolling Stone, too. Mm-hmm. But um, so do we want to talk briefly about what happens after this album? I think that's our habit. Yeah. 
So they record their third album, which is, and we talked about it a bit more aggressive and raw side three, which has the song tonight on it. That's the one that the Motley crew covered. They did cover it. <laughs> Okay. That's that's a Raspberry's classic. A little crunchier. Yeah, and it's funny. Wally Bryson said he's the only one who knows how to play that intro because he made up the chords oh, as really? he's playing them. Yeah, he's like, I, nobody knows of me. Those are weird chords I made up just to get a different sound. Uh, like we mentioned, that's the album where they feel like they hit their sort of stride, both studio and could replace it live. They learned their lesson on album covers. This one has a die-cut uh, picture of a basket of raspberries. And this album, unlike their previous one, is often cited as a, one of the best album covers of this time period. So, yeah. Way to, way to recover. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the band starts to get some friction at this point. Uh, first, uh, Carmen starts taking over writing more songs, which gets you know, some of the other guys a little upset. Um, then there's musical direction issues with um, Smalley wanting to go in a little bit more country oriented way, or at least Carmen's thinking he wanted to sound like the Eagles. And that's not what Carmen wanted to do. So um, that was an issue. And then the, the big one, which they have in common with the band Badfinger is uh, they had a bunch of not very good managers and they were they were selling tons of records and making no money whatsoever (laughs) and then they kept pushing the teeny bopper image even though they were really at this point trying to get out of it so despite all that they end up high they're like their peak performances they play carnegie hall and by all accounts they nailed it and and when they were getting all these in the press all these oh you guys are trying to sound like the beatles you're trying to sound like the beatles so they actually go out on stage and the very first thing they do is play the intro to ticket to ride just to give the crowd a <laughs> yeah you're going to say we sound like it and they slide into one of their own songs cool. that's funny that's but um Carmen and Smalley agree to part ways and Bonfanti who is uh, Smalley's best friend also leaves so they get a new bassist, this guy named Scott, Scott McCarl. He's an ex-series and, and ex-series drummer, Michael McBride. And they go on and soldier on. And they go and record 1974 Starting Over, uh, which is considered by a whole lot of people their best album. Because it's just this kind of moment in time. It's crunchier. It's whatever. Um, you know, I don't know. It's it's a great album, but it, it's it's not my favorite. I'll just put it that way. It's also their lowest charting album. So, uh, following a, uh, what's noted as an ugly physical confrontation, but co- uh, confrontation between Bryson and Carmen in Chicago parking lot, Bryson walks out, the band continues on as a trio for a little while for the rest of the dates. And then in, they break up in 1975. At that point, Eric Carmen, who is people know, at least in the record industry, and they know he can write a good song, goes on and has a fairly decent, successful solo career. He writes a pretty big song called All By Myself. Everybody sad now? (laughs) I remember... 
being much younger and realizing that the guy who sang a song I knew from my childhood that I didn't particularly care for was also the same guy who sang a bunch of songs that I loved. <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of made my head hurt. Yep. This the guy is so far away from the raspberries that it it's it's so surprising to me. But I'll be fair. If I if I take myself out of the fact that um, there's all sorts of reasons I don't particularly that like that song, his voice is perfect for it. It is. It's absolutely perfect for that. But song. and there's there's you know who else could do that song? Harry Nilsson. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Harry but, Nilsson would make it. I don't know. It would seem different with him singing it to me. Maybe it's just, uh, maybe it wouldn't sound so pathetic. Yeah, yeah it's just. And I don't mean pathetic is bad. I mean pathetic is God. This guy said that singing this song. Yeah. Yeah, and it, but it, you know it's so overproduced. It's uh, what I mean, what did that end up doing? That song. It must have been a huge hit because I remember it from sec, eighth grade. Yeah. Didn't Celine Dion cover it too? I, uh, I think she had a there was a bunch a of number covers one. I think of it. Celine Dion had a number she one. She should if she didn't. Um, uh, and it's based off of a Rachmaninoff piece. Yeah, and on the album, it's actually seven minutes long, and I think the single is four and a half or five minutes. Long. So he it did hit, two two tunes off of a Rachmaninoff. Uh, it hit number one in the U.S. Adult Contemporary. It hit number four Billboard Hot 100. Number seven U.S. Top 40. Uh, number six UK Singles. Uh, is that yeah? That oh no, I'm sorry. That's that's a Celine Dion. <laughs> sorry about that. Well, that's uh, that's a pretty big part of this guy's future. Is the he's about to sell a lot of songs to other people. Yeah. It, this is what his version did. Number one, Cashbox. Number two, Billboard Hot 100. Number six, U.S. Adult Contemporary. Number twelve, UK Singles. Uh, number one in Canada. So it was a it was a monster hit for him as yeah. well, and he had another. You remember this one? Never gonna fall in love again. This is a little bit more raspberriesy. It is. It's hard for me to hear either one of these without. Uh, his voice doing it. Yeah. There's such a big part of that. Absolutely. Okay. This is one of those things that sells. I bet Captain showed up on the Donnie and Marie show or Captain yep. and Tennille or something. It's in that genre. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, um, it's almost outside of music we generally talk about. And then he had that big hit for uh, the Dirty Dancing soundtrack, Hungry Eyes. Hungry Eyes. And I think Jimmy Iainer... He, uh, produced that. Yeah, that guy, that. he's done a whole bunch of soundtracks. I think yeah. he's got two uh, Oscars, even. Yeah. So, so. that. I remember all my life. Oh wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 really, I mean, he is it, all that that, that those the uh, pianos, those, that those, quiet, those, sad piano start. Then yeah. the orchestra comes in. Here you go. There's so many. There were so many songs like that in the in 1975, and, and they were of, all giant hits. They were all giant hits. Yeah. Well, the ones we know. There's probably a lot of other people say, "I can do that." <laughs> dung, 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 and then nothing happened. Anyway, uh, so he goes on. This this guy uh, never gets rid of his poofy hair no. for one thing, <laughs> uh, and he sells songs all over the place mm -hmm. yeah uh, you those, could spend time talking he ends up in all these different movies and yeah. uh, he's got those duck lips you know 
<laughs> yeah, and I think he's like had he's some pouting. work done. Yeah, I imagine. Well, if if, if um, are you going to talk about some of the songs he wrote? Or no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to mention what uh, kind of ending on a positive note, if you will. Mm-hmm. In 2004, the Raspberries formed together. The original band formed back together yeah. and did a little minor tour of House of Blues around the country. Yeah. And it was a big hit. They've released two live albums from those shows. They sound great. Uh, they look a little bit more, a little rougher for, for wear, but they sound fantastic. And uh, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just cool that those it, guys it, were able to bury the hatchet and get back together. He gets together on and Jeff something. and uh, Carbon does. Yeah. And that seems like a weird match. place. It does. Yeah. Yeah. And this is Carmen, not, not Carmen. What? Not Cartman. <laughs> Not the guy from South Park. That's right? right. It's difficult with that in your brain to distinguish between well, the two sometimes. He seems to have embraced the zeitgeist of the times more than just about any. Well, it's weird because in the early 70s, he's looking back on the time that came from And then in the mid 70s, he's like, I'm just going to go all in on this. Yeah. And, and then it seems like he decided he could write songs and... Uh, make money doing it and never got tired of it. And, but he started wearing those long coats and, you know, he's, and his hair's all permed and he, and, yep. uh, it's Oh, he wrote, God, he wrote almost paradise. Yeah. I didn't know that. The Holy that cow. Nancy, uh, Ann Wilson Ann and, and Wilson, Mike Reno yeah. do on the footloose soundtrack. I had no idea he wrote that. And I think that Jimmy, I he, he's, it a, sounds like that's been a good deal for him. Yeah. Uh, he did oblivious neutron bomb song, uh, <laughs> totally hot. <laughs> So yeah, wow. he's uh he's made a lot of money off of these uh tunes of his. Yeah. Somebody was talking about he was this is years ago he was getting six hundred thousand dollars a month in the in the mail from uh, royalties, which is more than we get for this show, by the way. <laughs> Just to briefly talk about one of the other guys um in the band, uh, Bryson ends up joining a pop band, uh power pop band. I've listened to him. I don't it's sort of borderline, but they were called Photo Maker. And uh, this is sort of a weird connection. Uh, the lead singer of that band was Dino Dinelli. Oh, the really? Rascals. And from I believe Little Steven away. played with him for a while, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he did. Well, I know that Little Stevens was crazy. He was Cocoa Puffs for the Little Rascals. I think Dino played on the first um, the Little Steven album. The Little Steven album. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, anyway. I remember Dino came up during that pod. Or that, well, cause, that, yeah, because uh, I think um, Little Steven toured with the Rascals at one point. Before you know, he he was all of those uh, Jersey guys were nuts for him. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, he's well, doing, so I think Eric Carmen's doing okay. He's back in. He's living back in Ohio. Yeah. So back in Ohio. Ohio. Back to Dun, Ohio. I was wondering when we were talking about them playing in uh, Cincinnati uh, or Cleveland. I wonder if uh, if uh, Chrissy Hunt ever went to one of their shows. She's probably in the UK at that point, right? Yeah, maybe you so. Know, I don't know. Or she might have kissed him. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Anyway, back to the subject at hand. Uh, usually at this time, ladies and gentlemen, we give two uh, ratings. One would be a a personal rating based on our feelings. The other would be a rating from our cold, hard orb uh we are going to pretend that we're critics and just say how good it is according to God uh, and some magical measuring tape in the sky. All right, so we're going to go to Jonathan J.M. Rowe. 
And I'm going to ask him his opinion on this record. All right. I'm going to go with my personal rating first. Um, I'm going to give it a three nine. And uh, I'm going to say that this album gets better with every listen. But there's two things I think that kind of hold it back for me. Um, It suffers from something that power pop albums, I think, suffer from. And that is a lack of cohesion and a lack of... um, you know, the songs are always the same length and there's, it's, it's not really an album. You don't listen to, it's just songs. And it's, so there's really nothing that uh, draws you into it as an album. You just want to hear the songs. So that's, that's one thing. The other thing is the production on this seems a little thin to me. Um, I think that's more the engineering than the actual production, but it just seems a little bit thin to me. And I, I, I was wondering like, why, what's the difference between this and the big star album? And I think the big star album to me, um, just has a little bit more, uh, emotion to it or something. I mean, this is just all good time kind of music, but if you listen to, um, number one record by, um, big star, there's just a little bit more emotion to it. So it suffers from that a little bit. As a critic, it's a four or five because this is a fantastic power pop album. It is a, a song full of hits, catchy tunes. It's got everything that you want in a, it's got the harmonies. It's got the 12 string guitars. It's got the, you know, the sharp minor, you know, you should be a minor becomes a major. So I can't remember what you actually call that, but it's a you sharp, the two. Um, it's, it's a really good, um, it's a great introduction to power pop. If you want to know what power pop is and, uh, so four or five as a critic. Thank you, Jonathan Jamro. I'm going to go next since I did not pick this album. I think that uh, as a critic, I would say a four seven. Uh, I probably am not qualified to talk about that because this album has influenced so much that came after it that I'm probably deaf to its originality. Personally, I think I'd give it a four or five. I will listen to it again. I I enjoy it. I have a great deal of respect for what this band is doing, and I'm uh, very impressed by the number of tunes that seem to just come easily to uh, Carmen particularly, but to the band in general. I think the production is uh, as it should be. I, I don't think they go overboard on anything. It's a pop album, and the older I get, the more I realize there's absolutely nothing in the world wrong with a pop album. And uh, pop songs may be the hardest of all. They're concise. They get to the point, and uh, mostly they don't sit around and moan about themselves. So, T. Yes, sir. You picked this album. I did. Let's hear what you think. Well, I... uh I get what JM's saying in comparison to Big Star. Uh, I actually read a guy who was talking about how great he thought this album was and then said it's difficult for him to talk about it in the same way he talks about Big Star because of all the earnestness and the sort of heaviness and the hipness surrounding being a Big Star fan where there's none of that on this album. So that always <laughs> entered into it. And he tries, he tries to fight that every time he listens to the Raspberry. So I get that. I'm going to give it a 4.8 uh, critically. Uh, it's it's I I disagree with what the guy said uh, about the Badfinger thing. I think Badfinger is um, Badfinger to me is the ultimate power pop band in terms of what they did at this time period. I love the Raspberries, but they don't. There's just just 
not they don't quite get there quite get there for me I, I i like what the i like what badfinger did up to a certain point much better and i think the album we talked about the badfinger album we talked about is is um and i think i gave that a 50 is is better than this so i can't quite give this a 50 but i still love it it's still a fantastic album um and personally i'm going to also give it a 48 uh i i did not not smile listening to this album at all. And I listened to it a lot. I listened to it over and again. I didn't get sick of hearing it. I, I would, in fact, if things were going a little bit sour during the day and I knew I was going to go back and listen to this to try to get some, absorb some stuff from it that I hadn't noticed before, uh, a smile would immediately pop in my face. And that's exactly what, why I love this music. You're right. It's not, it's not complicated in the sense of being deep thinking. It's complicated maybe musically, but there's not a whole lot of heaviness. And, well, we're back at the Beatles or yeah. with the Beach Boys when yeah. we had songs that sound simple. Yeah. And if you take them apart, you find out they're yeah. very complex. Yeah. But but the reason another reason it's not a five O for either critically or is what we talked about. Eric Carmen Carmen, I like his voice, but it does tend to get a little much sometimes. And there's times when you listen to a song and you think, God, you can just dial that back just slightly. <laughs> just, the song would be yeah. Just a, it would elevate the song a little bit more. But outside of that, the songwriting is perfect. Everything so uh, four eight for both. Very good, very good. Uh, one one other thing that I forgot to talk about that kept occurring to me is the uh, this music sounds like music that is on TV right after this, and I mean um, we're we're a TV show either like the Partridge Family mm-hmm. they have a band or mm-hmm. there's. Like there's, they bring a band in for uh-huh. a. Uh, yeah. it, it reminds me quite a bit of the things I would see in syndication in the afternoon right. on TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know what that element is. I I assume that they said this is what pop yeah. music sounds like. This is what we're going to copy. But like somehow the next door neighbors happened to yeah have a band it, and they're not I, getting anywhere. I always found it odd that those little phony bands wrote the, the songs that they had them sing were these just incredibly tuneful, catchy. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about the theme to the banana splits. Yeah. That's a goofy great, song, but my yeah, God, it's, it's great. Yeah. Well, they, they just take, they, uh, they take, I, I assume they're just going out and say, this is a great song. We'll buy it. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, the monkeys, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. they, uh, they eventually wrote their own music, but when they started out, they were just, it was Neil uh, Diamond and, uh, they're great yeah. songwriters with uh-huh. great, great uh, musicians mm-hmm. and great singers. Anyway, T, Thank you very much for yeah. this selection. Thanks for talking I, about I it. I feel with me. like we've maybe completed the uh, Power Pop Trinity. There's some the fullness and wholeness in our uh, program now because of this. I guess it's back to um, we'll be going back to uh, Prague next, or <laughs> don't know what's coming next for T, but. Uh, I, I think, I think do- 12 Dreams of Dr. Sardonicus is my next film. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Which is fun. Very fun. Yeah. And there's some similarities, too. <laughs> T? Yes. Do you have a recommendation for us? I do. I do. I thought you would. Uh, so I've talked, I talked about this band, uh, I think pretty early on when we started the podcast, they had put out an album in March of 2020. That was my favorite album of 2020. And they released a new album in November of 2023, uh, called fade out. And this is the band that this is a local Austin band, night sobs. And night sobs is a sort of an offshoot band of, um, 
the lead singer of a band called the Capitalist Kids, which is a pop punk band in Austin. And he decided he wanted to kind of shed all the any sort of political leanings he has, although that band also writes lots of songs about girls and just put on a throw a skinny tie on and make skinny tie power pop. I mean, he's unabashedly that's what he's embracing here. And the second album, like I said, Fade Out is really great. And I want to play a couple of songs on it, and I want to highly recommend this album. The first song I want to play is called Julie Ann. So if you want to know what what music Tony Slagle likes, <laughs> that's <laughs> that good stuff. So there. Good. That, that right there is uh, is it. Now I'm going to play another song off that album. Called, that sounded like a Wayne uh, Fountains of Wayne to me. Yeah, I'm going to play another song called "I Just Don't See That Happening." <laughs> So well, I think that drummer is probably very soaked by the end of the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it, it is such a great album. I've been waiting for this album since their last one came out. The longest song on the album is three minutes and eighteen seconds long. Most of them are under two minutes. That's it's great. fourteen songs and under that two band minutes. Band is. Night Sobs. Night it's a local Sobs. Austin power pop, skinny tie power pop band. Highly, highly, highly recommended. They are fan I would love to see I them think you that. sent us, uh, you gave me one of their records. I did. I bought two of their records, gave one to you and one to Jam. Yeah. Very good. Don't expect T to give you one of those records. You're going to have to go out and find it yourself. But T, we appreciate the, uh, the recommendation and introducing everyone to the Raspberries. You're welcome. Yes, thank you very much, Tony, and thank you, dear listener, for letting us feel your airwaves once again with another episode of This Is Vinyl Tap, the podcast that always goes to 11. If you know anyone who likes the long player format, please let them know about this podcast, and we're available on most podcasting platforms. And on those podcasting platforms, leave us a review, rate us, give us some stars. We're always looking for feedback. Also, we have a Facebook group page where you'll find uh, running comments and news and information about upcoming episodes or past episodes. And if you're old school, like I am, you can email us at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. But of course, for the ultimate This Is Vinyl Tap experience, please visit our website, www.tappingvinyl.com. There you'll find links to all our past episodes and our recommendations. You'll find pictures and videos about some of the things we've talked about in those episodes. And you can contact us there as well. That's www.tappingvinyl.com. Next episode, we'll be 
talking about an album made in the late 70s by a veteran British band with some prog leanings, but who made a pop masterpiece. Super Tramp, their album, Breakfast in America. And I really have enjoyed my stay, but I must be moving on. Like a king without a castle, like a queen without a throne. For our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe, this is Vinyl Tap, where the podcast always goes to 11. And until next time, we'll be wishing we could be with you. <laughs>